What was President Snow before he rose to power of Penang? On Bite, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, a movie I recently saw and really enjoyed. It's actually one of my favorite of The Hunger Games films. This is Tony Tolado. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Casting a young Corylanus Snow was no easy task, but they found him in Tom Blake. The moment I picked it up after the first chapter, I was hooked and I demolished it in like two days. And that was how I knew I had to do it because Coriolanus is just such a complex character. And seeing him go from young man who is kind of troubled and fighting for his family to young man who is still troubled, but this time has kind of a goal and an aim, albeit a dark one, and he becomes kind of dark and heavy towards the end, and he becomes the kind of dictator that we know him to be in the original movies. Um, and seeing that kind of origin story take place is something that I just couldn't not do. A big part of what we first talked about, Francis and I, was what makes Corio tick to begin with, and, and a lot of that was to do with his his ambition for his family. And although he's an ambitious person later on, most of his ambition to kind of fight and become the kind of person who will do anything, do whatever it takes to win, is mostly stemming from his family's needs. And it begins, the film begins with his family at like the precipice of like serious hunger. Um, and he will do whatever it takes to get them out of that place. Um, and then that gives way to a choreo who will start to do anything for himself just to get to the top. Yeah, we talked a lot about where it began and where it ended and how we weaved that path in between. Um, and a big part of it was just kind of building the world and, and, and working out what this world was and what that would do to a person. There's more on Bite with a look at The Hunger Games, the ballad of songbirds and snakes in a moment. Hunter Schaefer is the tragic Tigris. I think Tigris is uh, extremely uh, creative and resourceful. I think she's probably one of those people who knew from a very young age like what uh, what she was good at and like what she was able to offer to the world and unfortunately due to like the Snow family's circumstances I think she had to uh, get really creative with how she like um, with how she lived like her creative life and um, which I think is like making clothes I think like in her heart she's a she's a fashion designer you know um, and that's like um, her big love next to her family I think she's super family oriented as well. And Rachel Zegler is Lucy Gray Bear, who is central to the story, acting, and musically. The Hunger Games kind of started that era of like Divergent and Shadow Hunters, you know, like it was, she was really, Suzanne was the first to write this young woman who was anti establishment, anti government, and really standing up for what's right in a very unconventional way um, without an air of sweetness or or even like, you know, there was nothing cordial about her either. She was very rough around the edges and um, it was amazing to read that. Lucy Gray is such a compelling character and it kind of, she's kind of a breeding ground for what Katniss becomes 65 years later. 
the word that comes to mind is mercurial. You never know what you're going to get with her. And I think what's so amazing about this story, when you're, whether you're reading the book or when you're watching our film, is that you can never really tell whose side she's on. And the way I approached her was that she's always on her side her own side, her family, her friends, herself. Um, and I think that's why her relationship with Coriolanus is so interesting is because she finally, she starts to see what it's like to put someone else's needs before your own. And she's loving with her whole heart. But when she starts to see traits in him that she may not find trustworthy, she has to put herself first and make those decisions. Actor who I think is on the rise as well is Josh Andres Rivera as Sejanus Plinth. He's from districts, and he's just a guy who in this story is like perpetually homesick. Like he never, he would always rather be home, or he's mourning his past life, kind of always. And so he has really strained relationships with just about anybody in the academy. I think it's safe to say that he pretty much has no friends, and Coriolanus is the closest thing that he himself would call Coriolanus a friend, but I would color that relationship being the result of him being deprived of relationships in the academy. Because, you know, everybody's cut from a different cloth, and I think because of Coriolanus, his really rough upbringing, that's something that Sejanus can relatively understand, or at the very least, he can recognize it where other people can't recognize it. So that becomes like a connection that he kind of latches onto. It's like a chosen brothership, I think, from Sejanus's perspective, for sure. Because, you know, he's searching for a place to call home. He, he mentioned several times that he just can't live in the capital. It's going to drive him insane. Um, so he's searching for anything that feels like home, which I think Coriolanus is the nearest thing that he's found. And as far as District 2 goes, you know, Marcus treats him like an enemy, and I think he can safely assume that just about anybody in District 2 might as well. So, you know, he goes with Coriolanus to District 12. He wants to help him find his girl. Like, he's just really trying to be, like, a bro. <laughs> like a real good pal. Um, and, yeah, I think really... What, what do you call it, like, become salt of the earth kind of person. The always fabulous Peter Dinklage is Dean Highbottom. Highbottom, he's a brilliant man, but he realizes he's made a terrible mistake. It's sort of like it's, he didn't think through the consequences of it. He didn't under, fully understand or think about the consequences of his creation. Tom is extraordinary. I... I I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of um, young, I wouldn't say young, he's, not, he's in his 20s, but he's extraordinary. He has a real capacity to listen and not, um, you know, sometimes in the, in the glare of the spotlight, um, there can be a tendency to primp and preen for the cameras and all that, with, but he just really, he's so grounded and he listens and he's right there for you. You can't just get old anybody to fill Donald Sutherland's shoes as a young man. And he also like strikingly looks a little like Donald Sutherland too. And 
Donald Sutherland is one of my favorite actors of all time. So, uh, you know, there's a big shoes to fill. And directing is Francis Lawrence. He talks about his two main leads. Lucy Gray Baird, who is our co-lead, uh, played by Rachel Zegler, um, in the film, is a, is a very different kind of character. She's from District 12, but she's almost the sort of anti-Katniss, right? She's uh, quite charismatic, she's a performer, she's mer mercurial. Um, I think she has quite a lot of life experience and quite a lot of life experience in a way that Katniss hasn't really. And she's kind of mysterious, whereas Katniss was always kind of internal and quiet. She wasn't really a mystery, where Lucy Gray definitely is a mystery. You know, it's, it's interesting. We, we had a pretty exhaustive casting process um, for the three main roles, for the Snow, Sejanus, and Lucy Gray role. And with Snow, we saw a lot of people. And there were a few people that were like pretty interesting, but he kind of came in late to the game, um, at least to me, his self-tape, and he just kind of knocked it out of the park. There was, there was a quality about him, there was a nuance to his performance. I mean, a real um, sense of understanding the character. Um, I could also see, even though he had dark hair at the time, that he bore resemblance to Donald Sutherland a little bit. But there was also just a sense of control in his performance that I really liked. And you could tell that this guy, based on the scenes he was doing, that he had real craft and he really knew what he was gonna, he was gonna do and he was gonna be really prepared. Um, and was gonna be able to really convey the complete sort of emotional arc of this kid, of this like kid who's you know, desperately like putting on a show with the charisma to sort of fit into society, but desperate to, to feed his family and like slowly becoming the monster that is Snow. I think it, was, it just became clear really quickly with him that he was gonna be able to tackle that and tackle it in a really fantastic way. And developing the story. One of the fun things about the book that I sort of felt immediately was that, you know, there was an opportunity to sort of show how the capital works and how the games work at a very early age. And one of the things, or at a very early state, and one of the things that was very clear is that the, the games are in a very sort of early rudimentary state and that there's an arena, there's a wall, these, you know, there's weapons in the middle, they go in, and you know, in my guess is like the games rarely lasted more than like an hour or two, and it was done. Um, and this is the first time that landscape changes, right, because bombs go off and kind of open up the arena a little bit, and that changes and makes the, the games go longer and starts to give people the idea of sort of creating landscapes and things. When we started and we started shooting some of the sequences and some of the deaths, in the games, I suddenly felt that A, it does feel like the Hunger Games, which is good, but it feels very different. The characters within the games feel very different. The fact that they're not wearing uniforms feels very different and makes everybody more sort of individualistic and specific. Let's look at the music of the film with Rachel Zegler. Suzanne had an idea of all of the songs. She had written all of the lyrics. All of those lyrics are still true to the, the book. Um, but she had an idea for the tempo and what she thought all of the songs would sound like. They're very 
folk country Appalachian music. It's all very much, there's a mandolin and a bass and a guitar um, and it's and a violin. And that's really what the, how the Covey operate as a band. Um, and she were, we worked with Dave Cobb, who did the music for A Star Is Born, but also wrote and, and produced and worked with so many country artists, worked with John Prine and Dolly Parton and so many people. So we were in the best of hands. And when I got all of the scratch recordings for the music, I was just fell in love and was like, we got, we got this part right for sure. You know, because it's one thing that you're, you're really nervous about when you're making a movie that has music in it is all original music. I highly recommend this film. Really good script and really good characters too. And Sci-Fi Talk Plus is a great podcasting gift, not only for yourself, but also for friends and family. With over 800 episodes, commercial-free, uncut, and even special programs. The best part about it, it's free for a lifetime. Just click on the link in the show notes for that free lifetime access. This is Tony Tolato for Byte.